This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Today on State of the World, Portugal's success combating its opioid crisis. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a few minutes, a very different carnival celebrated in Rio's working class and Afro-Brazilian neighborhoods. But first, while many parts of the world are experiencing high rates of opioid deaths, the crisis is by far the worst in the U.S. There are more than 112,000 American drug deaths every year. Portugal also faced a deadly opioid crisis, but they've managed to cut fatal overdose deaths by 80%. NPR's Brian Mann went to Portugal and found that different outcomes are the result of a different approach. It's a spring-like day in Lisbon, Portugal's capital, and I've come to a part of the city most tourists never see, a blue-collar sprawl of apartment blocks home to a government-run drug consumption clinic. The Liana Santos, who has a sad, weathered face, sits outside, enjoying the sun. Cocaine is my, is my drug, but I smoke uh, uh, brown. Brown is a form of heroin that Santos buys on the street. Inside the clinic, men and women sit at a table surrounded by plumes of smoke using their crack and heroin pipes. In a room next door, Ana Batista, a soft-spoken woman in her mid-50s, has brought heroin to inject. It's different using drugs here, Batista tells me, safer than using alone on the street. This clinic is part of a nationwide network of addiction services, part of Portugal's wider, taxpayer-funded national health care system. This is one of the fundamental differences in Portugal. Unlike the U.S., no one here has to pay for addiction care. No one scrambles to navigate the kind of complicated, costly, and often poorly regulated recovery system we have in the U.S. As I talk to drug users at the clinic, I hear something else very different. In the U.S., addiction is deadly. But when I ask Batista if she's lost anyone to drugs, she looks startled. No, no. Liliana Santos, the woman who smokes cocaine and heroin, tells me the same thing. Have you had friends overdose? No. Uh, Have you overdosed? No. No? No. The simple fact is that overdose deaths are incredibly rare here. Portugal has roughly the same population as the state of New Jersey, but while New Jersey sees roughly 3,000 fatal drug overdoses a year, Portugal, the entire country, averages roughly 80. The statistics really speak for themselves. Miguel Monish is an anthropologist at the University of Lisbon who studied drug policy and addiction in the U.S. and Portugal for decades. He says Portugal's approach to addiction shifted in the late 90s when the country experienced its own opioid crisis. Rather than follow the U.S. drug war model, which focused on arresting people, often giving them lengthy prison sentences, Monish says Portugal prioritized health care. Someone who has a problematic drug use isn't someone who's a criminal or has a moral failing. They're someone who has a physical or a mental health problem. And that is a tremendous societal shift. While the U.S. was building state and federal prisons to house hundreds of thousands of drug offenders, Portugal decriminalized personal use amounts of drugs and invested in a very different infrastructure. So there is training for jobs, various robust treatment programs, the involvement of police at every level. 
Monish mentioned police. Another big difference here is how Portugal reinvented the role of cops dealing with street drugs. Police still break up drug gangs in Portugal and arrest people committing drug-related crimes like theft. They also work to disrupt open-air drug markets like the ones that have emerged in some U.S. cities. But when Portuguese police encounter people using small, personal-use amounts of drugs, there's no arrest. Instead, cops schedule meetings for people using drugs with counselors. Police are trained in strategies to cajole and encourage people to attend these sessions. Relativamente à questão Artur Vaj heads the National Police Unit in Portugal that targets drug trafficking. In the beginning, he tells me, most policemen were very, very skeptical about this policy. In the U.S., this kind of approach has also been controversial. In Oregon, for example, where small amounts of drugs have been decriminalized, police regularly hand out information cards referring people to a drug counseling hotline. Court data shows drug users rarely call. In Portugal, it's very different. National data in Portugal shows roughly 90% of people referred by police for counseling turn up. Most police have come to believe this is a balanced approach, Bosch says. People who consume drugs should be treated by the health system, not the criminal system. Police referrals are only one pathway to treatment. Portugal's national system nudges drug users constantly toward recovery programs, all voluntary, all free of charge. Dr. Zhao Gulao is Portugal's national drug czar. He says one reason the system works is there's no stigma in the process, no threat of punishment or prosecution. It's not fair to treat this disease in a different way from what we do with other diseases. The results are striking. Over the last 20 years, U.S. drug deaths kept surging, first with heroin, crack cocaine, and prescription pain pills, now with methamphetamines and fentanyl. During that same period, Portugal cut drug-related HIV-AIDS cases in half. People here now are 45 times less likely to die from a drug overdose compared with the U.S. We are happy that most of them are there, alive. Things aren't perfect in Portugal. Like everywhere in the world, addiction is often wrenching. During the COVID pandemic, drug use in Portugal got worse. Nothing like the U.S., but there was an uptick of overdoses. People here also worry about the arrival of fentanyl, which so far hasn't gained popularity on Portugal's streets. In part to prepare for the threat of fentanyl, the government is once again spending more money on health care and addiction programs. Back on the street in Lisbon, I encounter one more big difference in the way Portugal treats people who use drugs. Elda Coimbra is a neatly dressed middle-aged woman who recently started using drugs again. And, and have you also used heroin? Yeah. In the U.S., where addiction care is often abstinence-based, this kind of relapse often means people are kicked out of treatment. They lose housing and other support. Portugal's system, by contrast, views Coimbra's struggle as a painful but normal part of addiction. Coimbra tells me she is getting help, including housing and a job. I can get my life back together, she says. Again, no one here thinks Portugal's model is perfect. Drugs still cause a lot of suffering. But two decades of data shows Portugal's approach helps a lot more people stay alive, keeps them out of prison, and offers chances to recover when they stumble. Brian Mann, NPR News, Lisbon, Portugal. We'll be back in a minute. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Brazil's world-famous carnival is in full swing. That means block parties are raging until the early morning, and competitors in fabulous costumes parade nightly down Rio's famous Samba Drome. But far from the beaches and tourist-packed events, there's a very different carnival celebration happening in the working-class and predominantly Afro-Brazilian neighborhoods. It's known as Bachebola. Crews in Rio's outskirts wear clown-like costumes and race through neighborhoods to a frenetic mix of funk, fireworks, and fear. NPR's Carrie Kahn takes us to the celebrations that men have long dominated, but that women are now joining in. Monique Vieira is busy sewing long strips of colorful pink lycra pieces for the Benfeto, or well-done cruise bachibola costume this year. I'm sewing the cap here to cover the crew member's face, she says. The 39-year-old mechanical engineer says she also sews the huge, roughly skirts, as well as the bulging, feather-filled sleeves. Incandescent colored tights are part of the mix, as well as a glittery headdress. We do it differently than Carnival in Rio's beach neighborhoods and tourist areas, she says. They like those block parties, she says, where everyone is practically naked, but not here. Bachibolas, loosely translated as the ball beaters, celebrate Carnival in Rio's outskirts. Their name comes from the ball tied to the end of a large stick that they slam against the ground, enchanting and intimidating onlookers. Just where this mix of extravagant costumes and revelry came from is much debated. Some say Portuguese colonizers brought it over. Or like Andra Maturana, who runs Benfeito with her husband, believes it was born out of her neighborhood's working-class roots. Workers in industries out here would wear their oversized overalls and go on strike and bang balls on the ground as a form of protest, she says. As a kid, her mother wouldn't let her join Bachibola, saying it was too dangerous. Crews were known to fight rivals in the streets, and the media highlights any local brawls to this day, she says. But now 26 and a new mom, Maturana says times are changing. As drummers practice at her home that doubles as the Benfeta workshop, she says Bachibola is overcoming the stigma. Era uma cultura extremamente masculina, né? 
só tinha homens, mas hoje em dia deve It has long been an extremely masculine culture, but today more and more women participate, she says. This year 40 women are taking part. There were only six when she started in 2018. But she'd like to see more help from the city. Sabrina Veloso is a cultural researcher in Rio. As grandes patrocinadoras não olham para o bate-bola enquanto uma manifestação cultural. She says the big carnival sponsors aren't interested in bate-bola. Veloso, who is also a member of the all-female Burlechis crew, says Rio's working-class outskirts have long been marginalized. It's not surprising its celebrations don't get much tourist promotion nor dollars. <laughs> Unfazed, Veloso and her all-women crew get ready as funk music booms on the street below. Crew leader Vanessa Amorim says she'll keep spreading the word of Batibola. We keep fighting and persisting. As a barrage of fireworks fill the sky and drown out the music, the Batibolas hit the streets, bashing their balls on the ground. The men's crew starts running too. Vanessa Amorim says Bachibola is finally getting respect here at home too. Então a gente se coloca hoje em dia iguais a eles e não atrás nem na frente, mas a gente anda junto com eles. These days even the men are accepting us as equals. We no longer parade behind them or in front. We do it side by side. Senpiers Kerikon in Rio de Janeiro. And that's the state of the world from NPR. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework.